Pixel Therapy is a member of the But Why Though Podcast Network. Go to butwhythopodcast.com for an inclusive geek community offering pop culture news, reviews, and podcasts. Hello, game appreciators. This is Ali from Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. Zero Brightness is a show where my guests and I discuss horror video games and the many things that surround and inform them. We aim to give insightful analysis and raise some of the big questions about the medium from an artist's perspective, while also just having a good time. If that sounds cool to you, you can find us on just about every podcast service. We'll see you out there. Video games can be art, too. Yes. Like- oh, they definitely are. I've been I've been in art galleries. I was in the Smithsonian. It's definitely art. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was in the Smithsonian, bitches. It's art. <laughs> I said that the last time someone uh, did an art, did a, like, our game's art, and I was like, I don't know. I was in the Smithsonian. It was art. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every other week, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss the games that have made them and changed them, and all the feelings they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host, Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. Some new and noteworthy for everyone this week. Our March Patreon bonus episode is up on patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod. You can go over there and for just $2, you can listen to Spencer and I pick our fantasy lineup of 2021 game releases. (laughs) (laughs) Hear about all the games we can't wait to play this year or in some cases can't wait to watch other people play because I'm at least a very big chicken. Mm -hmm. Big, big chicken. But I want to see that big, tall, scary lady. I want to see her. Uh, what is it? Yeah, people want her to step. Please step on me, big, scary lady. It's like uh, it's like fantasy football. Basically, what we're doing, it's like a drafty kind of thing. Well, drafty, picky, drafty, the games. Uh, so, like fantasy football, but way nerdier. And if it makes you feel any better... It, uh, Jamie had to like send me many paragraphs about what how to do it and and walk me through it and hold my hand because I was very nervous because I don't know anything about sports so I know it sounds scary you hear fantasy football uh, and a lot of images pop in your head but it was a lot of fun and I really like the website so yeah come join us yeah yeah come come uh, listen to the episode and and check that out over on Patreon. Every month on Patreon, Spencer and I are dropping bonus deep dive episodes, which is just the two of us digging into fun topics. Uh, So if you want more Pixel Therapy, you can head on over to patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod and check it out. Uh, If you're not up for contributing on Patreon, no worries. Uh, You'll keep getting your biweekly dose of Pixel Therapy on your podcast service of choice. Mm -hmm. However, if you want to know how you can support the show for free, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is actually a huge help. If you like what we do here on Pixel Therapy, come let us know. We'd love to read your thoughts and feelings on an upcoming episode. Maybe add a a new segment. Oh my God, please. We would. Please give us a review. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's enough of that. Time to get cozy. Pull up an armchair. Feel free to lie down on the couch. And let's talk about our feelings. Spencer, how are you doing today? (sighs) Well, um, uh, it's been a rough week. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I keep saying that, which I hope y'all know uh, I'm not. Like, things are generally 
I have lots to be thankful for. And I'm like generally, I think, doing well. Um, I have been having a lot of weird dreams. Sorry, this is a, such a tangent, but I have been having a lot of weird dreams lately because I'm in the process of um, hashtag <laughs> mental health awareness. Uh, I am in the process of like switching medications because uh, mm-hmm. I have anxiety and depression and complex PTSD. And so I treat that with um, a couple of medications and sometimes SSRIs, uh, prescribers or psychiatrists, people who prescribe you the med- the, S- the medication <laughs> um, are kind of like, yeah, we don't really know how it works. Uh, some work and some don't. You just got to kind of try stuff. Um, but I've been on uh, Prozac for like a year and it just hasn't really been working. And so um, I'm in the process of weaning off of it. Um, but in that process, uh, just I think my sleep's been a little weird and um, the dreams I have have been visceral and, and vivid and frightening uh, in a way <laughs> that has fun. been new. <laughs> so um, That's been an adventure. Um, it's just a really fun backdrop to just everything that's happening in the world right now. Um, we are recording this episode on Saturday, March 20th, just to give folks a sense of um, when this conversation is happening. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just been a really sad week uh, here in the U.S. Um, for the Asian American community, um, of which I am a part, and um, just what's happening to our elders and to the six women who were murdered this week um, by a, a white terrorist. Mm-hmm. Um, like, let's be real. Um, I, it's been a painful, too. Just it, it feels like the way the media has been covering this event is just indicative of the way that like Asian women are kind of grouped together and anonymized um, where the white dude who like caused all this shit is his name and his face and his story are plastered everywhere. Just Mm -hmm. the way we think of Asian women, the way we think of um, sex workers, Mm -hmm. um, misogyny. It's just, it's been rough. Um, And I just, I don't, I wish I had, I guess, better words um, to communicate, like, what I'm feeling. And um, I think it's hard feeling so distant from my family, too, right now. Um, I guess I'm glad in some ways that my grandmother is um, mostly spending her time at home these days. Mm -hmm. Um, But... It's okay to not be okay. <laughs> and it's okay to not always have the right words. Um, yeah. Even if you're a podcaster. Yeah. Even if you're a <laughs> podcaster. Um, but I'm thinking of, of the six women we lost. Soon. Hyun. Soon Cha. Yong. Dao Yo. And Chao Jie. Um, thinking of my family and friends that I can't be with right now. Um, I actually wanted to read, there was, there's a really uh, great uh, poem that Chanel Miller just posted on her Instagram um, yesterday that I, I think uh, if folks don't, aren't familiar with Chanel, she's the author of Know My Name. Um, and I would definitely look her up and her story. Um, she's an amazing person, a really resilient person. Um, but I just wanted to read the last uh, couple 
um, passages of the poem she wrote um, just to kind of take some space to sit with um, these feelings um, with you all. Um, but I highly recommend going and looking at the rest. And um, and at the end of the episode today, when, when we do our side quests, I'll also um, share some resources that folks can look into if they want to uh, learn more about what's been going on um, and how you can you know, push back against the violence that's, uh, that the AAPI community is facing. Um, anyway, Chanel writes, six Asian women means six lives, means six origin stories. I have some important questions. What songs did they know by heart? What is their most worn piece of clothing? What did they have for breakfast that morning? What photos sit on their nightstands? What snacks did they buy as treats? Who are they most looking forward to hugging when the pandemic is over? Why is nobody asking? Follow-up question. How cruel is it that marginalized communities live with the knowing that they must not only fear death, but also disappearing? <sighs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's been a hard, hard week, but, uh, I just love every, I just want to send love out to my other, uh, Asian diaspora fam. And, uh, thanks for giving me the space, Jamie, to, um, share some of these feels and, um, absolutely. Yeah, I um thank you for that. Um I I just wanted to to take that space, but um I also am excited to to have this time to, you know, talk about something that brings us joy. <laughs> video games. <laughs> this is a video game podcast. Just I just like to remind folks of because <laughs> we often just tend to go off the rails a little. Not off the rails, but you know, I think one of the things I love about this space is that we can um you know, we talk about games, but we're also living in, uh, like, talking about them through the this lens of our identities and our experiences mm -hmm. and um, just finding the connections between our love of games and the other things that make us human. Um, and so this is part of that. And um, mm -hmm. thanks for being along for the ride. <laughs> um, and one thing I did want to talk about was um, this morning, just as a way to kind of... Uh, I, I really I was so busy this week and also just so consumed with with the news and such that I wasn't really making any time to just unwind and and play something. So I did finish Firewatch uh, this morning, which is the game I was talking about last episode, um, where essentially it's uh your it's like a walking simulator. You play as Henry and you are a fire lookout volunteer um, in the Shoshone National Park in Wyoming. <laughs> um, and, um, okay, so one thing I wanted to say is, like, I, I was a little too gay for this game in that <laughs> <laughs> the game has no fast travel, and you literally have to pull out a hiking map that is literally, like, a real hiking map that mm -hmm. just has lines on it and freaking yeah. terrain. I can't read that shit. Like, yeah, you <laughs> gave me a compass, but I cannot tell you how many minutes. Like, I feel like half of the full gameplay time was me standing there zooming in and out of the map and crying because I could not figure <laughs> oh, out how no. the F to get somewhere. Oh, so no. that, I'll admit, 
like my ineptitude reading maps did kind of take me out of the emotional zeniths of the <laughs> end of the game because I was supposed oh, to no. be running location to location. I was like, oh my God, where am I? Who's dying? What? <laughs> Literally lost in the woods. Yeah. But um, the game, um, really, really interesting, tight narrative adventure. I highly recommend. I didn't want to spoil it too much. because I think the joy of the game for me was going into it knowing as little as possible about the story. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't want to spoil the ending because it's a very quick game. I think you could play it in like four hours, honestly, if, mm-hmm. if you were had the focus and can read a map better than, <laughs> than old Spency. Um, but yeah, really great experience. Um, and again, I, I just appreciated the through line of... Um, I, I think the story really invites you to take from it what you want to. Like, I think you could, you could end the story with a bunch of different perspectives on the characters and readings on their behaviors and and their flaws. And um, I just love that 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 the game doesn't tell you how to feel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really, really glad you enjoyed it. We'll have to have a spoiler-filled discussion off the air. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I guess my my question that you could maybe answer without mm-hmm. spoilers is like, what what was your your feeling of the overall narrative? Did you were you on board for how everything wrapped up narratively or did you mm. Yeah, I don't know. What was how did you feel about the narrative overall as you got to the end of it? Yeah, like I I have seen critiques of it. I guess I, well, I haven't seen many. I I know that their critiques exist. (laughs) I enjoyed it. I found it realistic. Like I think that the game is grounded. Like it, it feels real in a way that I don't often get from a lot of games. Like, like I think that if they had tried to push the story too hard, then it would have maybe ruined the experience and the the magic of the game for me but I, mm-hmm. I honestly felt like um maybe it wasn't what i was expecting but i think that it fit within the world of firewatch um and i think that it served the purpose of um taking the characters on the journey that they needed to go on mm-hmm. what do you think though did, like did, do you disagree well, it's it's been a while since I played it, so I don't even necessarily remember the exact narrative beats. But I do remember leaving the game thinking that the there is a, an element of mystery and dread to the game. Mm-hmm. And I think I left the game thinking that I, I would have been more interested, and this would just be a completely different game, so maybe this isn't even valid feedback, but I would have been more interested in the story if they just left the entire mystery component out of it. Mm. I would have and been just made it about the two characters. Just yeah, just made it about Henry and Delilah and Henry processing mm. what's going on in his personal life that he's avoiding with his partner. Yeah, that's a great point. I do feel like the mystery sort of overtakes the latter half of the story and it and it doesn't even become about the two characters anymore. Mm-hmm. Um it also it, it it almost kind of leans so much into being cinematic and and it it almost it feels like a movie by the like a thriller yeah 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 <laughs> uh, and yeah I, I hear that I, I when you say that I I agree mm-hmm. um, the characters yeah. are kind of lost it's like I wanted an 
indie movie or like a <laughs> dramedy yeah. and i got a psychological thriller yeah <laughs> like a drum-com yeah yeah rom-com drum yeah and i feel like the, the but the game like in those first i mean i think where you were at in the game when we talked last time yeah like I do think it was a different game. Yeah. And it hits a point where it goes into this uh the psychological thriller um narrative and I it just dramatically changes the game for me and I was really on board with what they were doing in the first 1 to 2 hours. Mhm. And wanted more of that. But I mm-hmm. still think it's a really like it's still a game that I really love um and that I think people should play. I think it does so many interesting things. And I'm sorry he struggles so much with the map. I remember thinking the map was such a cool mechanic. Yeah. Um, just such an interesting way that you actually pull the map up uh, in game and like you can see Henry's hands holding it and you're actually mm-hmm. navigating that way rather than the game giving you uh, just a point on the screen to walk towards. You have to actually find your own way through things. I do remember getting lost and confused sometimes. <laughs> like I think that's very real, but I also thought that that was kind of uh part of the experience they were trying to give you but then i do think that that's like at odds with some of this other stuff that they're doing with the narrative as you go into the game right it's hard to sustain the dramatic tension when i'm like oh wait <laughs> hold on let me just pull out my map and remember which way I'm supposed yeah, to be right. running <laughs> like i do think i feel like so much of the the mechanics and the framing of the game really would have spoken to the narrative if they had kept with what they set up in the intro mm. and i don't know if it was a pressure to make the game more palatable to a wider audience or or I, you know i don't know what it was or if that was just legitimately the story they wanted to tell but going the direction that they did i think kind of takes away from some of those those quieter more uh like tactile mechanics that they brought into the game and you reach a point yeah where it's like yeah shit's on fire and you're pulling out your map to try to figure out how to get <laughs> yeah. from point a to point b like it just doesn't it it makes it lose its sense of urgency and also makes the map annoying when it could have been more Mm -hmm. uh, exploratory and like peaceful. Mm. Yeah. Firewatch, the game that gives you everything, the whole spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you'll try Gone Home? Yo, uh, I would love to play Gone Home. I'm also getting super excited about this Life is Strange remake and remaster that's coming out. Mm, um, yeah. Oh, are you going to play through? You think you're going to play through them all? I think so. Well, it's funny timing because I just bought the original Life is Strange, which I was going to play oh. after Firewatch. But then I saw the news about um, this remaster and I was like, ah, oh, F, should I wait? <laughs> I honestly, yeah, so what they're doing is, is the remaster going to have everything or is it just Life is Strange 1 before the storm and then this? So they made an announcement that this is a Square Enix, right? The Square Enix conference that was earlier this oh, week. Gosh, where they Jamie. did like a video conference. Bold of you to assume. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Um, I'm up on the gaming news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, there was there was a video conference earlier this week. They rolled out that um, there's going to be a new Life is Strange game called Life is Strange T- True Colors. Yes, it was. The Square Enix uh, thing. God, there we go. so smart. <laughs> Hardly. I just have an inca- infinite capacity in my brain for useless information. Um, 
so yeah, they announced that and they said that as part of that, they're going to release a remaster, but I'm not sure what's all included in the remaster. Do you have it up there now? Yes. Uh, Following the reveal of a brand new of the brand new Life is Strange game, True Colors, a story about the power of empathy and dealing with loss, um, Square Enix also confirmed that the collection, the Life is Strange Remastered Collection, is dropping this fall. Uh, it comes with Before the Storm and the original Life is Strange. I fuck okay. This remaster situation is so weird to me. And if I can get a little yeah, it's nerdy, not super clear. <laughs> if I can get a little nerdy, I'll explain why. Yeah, Life, Life is Strange season one, which is about Max and Chloe, that was made by Don't Nod, the studio Don't Nod, right? Then we have Life is Strange Before the Storm, that's a prequel to Life is Strange season one that focuses on Chloe, and it's made by this studio called Deck Nine, right? Then we have Life is Strange season two. This is Don't Not Again. It's a completely unrelated story. Arguably the best Life is Strange game. However, they spread the episodes out too far. So it took like a year and a half for all of the episodes to come out. And it was largely ignored by games media. A really, really fucking good game about two um, young uh, brothers, uh, Latinx brothers, who are whose father is killed by a police officer and they're fleeing mm. the country trying to flee the country but it's like the story of the the little brother has uh the ability to move things with his mind and his older brother is trying to protect him and hide that fact from mm -hmm. people so it's them trying to like navigate that space and you play as the older brother where you're constantly you're trying to like impart good parental advice on your your mm -hmm. little brother really fucking good game that's don't nod then don't nod gets bought by microsoft Mm. we get telling or Jesus, tell me why. Right. Which is essentially life is strange, oh, but right. they don't actually call yeah. it life is strange. Yeah. Right. That's exclusive to Xbox. Now here comes deck nine saying we're doing a new life is strange game. So clearly square Enix still owns the life is strange brand and don't nod isn't able to, to make life is strange games anymore. Question mark. Oh, so they're calling it something else. Right. So Don't Nod did when they released Tell Me Why, it was just Tell Me Why. They didn't call yeah. it Life is Strange, even though it was like very much a Life is Strange-esque game. Mm -hmm. Now Deck Nine's coming out with this remaster. They're remastering the first season of Life is Strange, which is a Don't Nod game, <laughs> Before the Storm, yeah. which is a Deck Nine game. They're skipping Life is Strange 2 altogether. Right. And then putting pairing that up with true colors i don't know it's just weird it's weird to me also all these games came out on ps4 and xbox and this remaster is for ps4 and xbox so it's not and even specifically ps5 and it's not even like specifically remastered to run on ps5 and and the xbox series x and s which it will run on those consoles but the fact that they're not like upgrading it to that level is just like what i I don't know. It's very odd to me. Mm -hmm. I don't quite know why they're doing this. Why were they repackaging it this way? I hate that Life is Strange 2 is left out altogether. Though I have to assume it's some sort of like back-end marketing weirdness because of the way the two developer, two different developers and all the ownership with Microsoft and stuff is panning out. I'm excited for True Colors, but I just this remaster situation just looks weird as hell. Yeah, wow. Oh my god. 
So that's my nerdy, I'm confused take. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the remaster will run a bit better, but I mean, I don't know. If you already bought Life is Strange, I would just play it. It it looked good. It ran fine. Like, okay. It's they're very um they're like hand it's like hand drawn art kind of style game anyway. Mm. It's not I don't think the graphical fidelity is what makes that game what it is. So that's my two cents. Okay. Well, then maybe next time we talk, I'll play Gone Home and Life is Strange and something else, too. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see what we can throw in there. Yeah. All right. Um, but anyway, um, what enough about me. What are you playing? <laughs> Never enough about you. <laughs> uh, I am playing Signs of the Sojourner, or I guess you could say I've played Sojourner, Sojourner, Sojourner. Yeah, Sojourner. Sojourner. I looked yeah. it up before this and I'm still like, Signs of the Sojourner. <laughs> anyway, Signs <laughs> of the Sojourner is the debut game uh, from the indie studio Echo Dog Games. Uh, it was originally released on PC in May of 2020. Uh, just came out on PlayStation March 17th, 2021. Uh, it's also out on Xbox and Switch, but I played it on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game actually has some writing from our episode 9 guest, CC Jung. <gasps> um yeah, they, they contributed to the writing on the game. They're listed as an additional writer. Oh. Uh, this game is super cool. Uh, for some context, I have I have technically completed the game, but it's the kind of game that's set up that you could, you, you want to play it multiple times, so I probably will play through it again. It's a total run was like four, maybe five hours of playtime. Okay. It's described as a narrative deck building game, so you're playing with cards, and it's about communication, Mm-hmm. Uh, let me explain a little bit the yeah. the way what happens in the game first of all it's set in like a slightly futuristic world but like very realistic future so this is you know the effects of climate change have really started to impact the planet and mm-hmm. folks are kind of you know they're living with out all the resources that we have today there's cities that are underwater there's folks who are going without water, have very limited water, access to resources. Mm. Towns have become very uh, isolated communities that are really looking out for themselves and and wary of outsiders. Um, and you are uh, a person who is has taken over your mother's shop in this town called Bartow. And you, the way your mother would get items to sell in the shop to the citizens of Bartow is by uh, going on this caravan that goes mm. all through the neighboring towns and buys things from their local vendors and then brings them back to Bartow to sell them to the local residents. So you're a sojourner. You're going to go on this, this trip and you do this monthly to mm. bring supplies back to your town. When you're on your travels you have to have conversations with the people of the other towns in order to be able to negotiate uh, getting goods from them. You have conversations in this game not through picking dialogue options in a dialogue tree, but instead by playing a mini card game with the people that you're conversing (laughs) with. So the cards in this game are, they start out very simple. Your initial deck has just triangles and circles. Each card has a symbol on the left and the right. When you're in conversation with someone, the cards are being laid down left to right. Mm. Each person plays one card at a time for the most part. And you're trying to match the symbol uh, on the right-hand side of the other player's card with the left-hand side of your card. 
and that keeps a conversation going. So like let's say starting I'm, a chain. Yeah, starting a chain. So let's say I'm talking to someone and they lay down a card that has a triangle on the left and the right. I have to lay my card down to the right of their card, so I need to match a triangle. So I could play a card that has a triangle on the left and a circle on the right, or I could play a card that has two triangles on it, so on and so on. Hmm. You get cards that have different abilities that do different things that allow you to... Uh, there's, for example, there's a card called Accommodate, and it just duplicates the symbols on the other card. So mm. if someone played a card with two triangles and you play the Accommodate card, it turns into a card with two triangles. Um, you're, you're going through different rounds of these conversations, and you have there's usually an allowance for failed states in the conversation. So that's indicated by these little squares that they put at the top of the screen. So, for example, I might go into a conversation and I see there's two white squares and three black squares. That means the conversation will end when I get through two white squares, which is two positive uh, strains of conversation where we complete a line with our cards. Um, yeah. Or if I hit three negative uh, conver- like conversation threads, meaning we don't mm-hmm. complete a line with our cards. If you're completing the negative, the black ones then that means that the conversation doesn't go anywhere. You guys don't Uh connect. Um, Uh They might get mad at you. They might say, (laughs) Uh why are you being mean to me? They might say, stop Uh talking to me. Um, If you're completing the positive ones, then it doesn't necessarily mean that the conversation is exactly what you would want it to be, but it plays out and you're able to communicate with each other. Okay. Uh, I, I really like this game, but I think I like the, like the theme and mechanics maybe more than the way it actually like mm. i don't know if it if, it wasn't always fun to play mm-hmm. what happens as you're going around the world i said you start with a deck that has just triangles and circles in it but as you travel people use all kinds of different cards you can you could go you start out going to places that use triangles and circles but then you very quickly start going to places where okay here's somebody who talks with t- triangles and squares Initially, you don't have any cards that have squares on them. So sometimes mm. you can fumble your way through a conversation with just the triangles you have. Um, and like it, the conversation's very up and down, but you get there and you get a positive connection with them. Mm. Or like you just don't get the card you want in the moment and you, you, can't, you can't connect with this person. But what happens is after every conversation that you have, it, the game offers you um, anywhere from two to three cards from the hands of the other player. So if I just mm. tried a conversation with someone who has triangles and squares, even if the conversation failed, I'm going to get an opportunity to pick up a card that has squares on it. However, you can't increase the size of your deck. So you have, mm. I think it's eight cards in your deck. You always have to swap them out. So here's what happens as you go on your travels and you pick up new cards that allow you to converse with more people. At the end of the month, you have to come back home and talk to the people in your hometown in particular, your best friend who's running the shop, and you start oh, to no. lose the be- ability to talk to the people that you're friends and family with. So it does this you're really- learning all these new languages. Exactly. It does this really interesting thing where it's it's language, but it's also culture. Like It's yeah. also saying that like as you're going out and you're having these new experiences and you're learning how to interact with different types of people, you're kind of losing some of what allowed you to connect with the people back home. Mm-hmm. And it, it has, it's a really, really impactful because I do think to some extent, 
I don't know. There's a little bit of a zero sum nature to the game that I don't necessarily agree with, but it's also not wrong that like, Mm -hmm. if you were constantly going out and seeing a whole other part of the world and then trying to come back and relate to the people that you left behind, there is a tension there. Mm -hmm. I I just think it, it captures the nature of conversation and especially conversation with people that are, from different life experiences, from different cultures who speak different languages. I feel like it captures all of that really fucking well because there's also this, you know, when you have, when I, when I have mostly triangles and circles and I'm trying to talk to somebody who has triangles and squares, man, we're so fucking close to getting mm. it. Like we're so fucking close to connecting and it's so frustrating when it doesn't quite work out. And, and you know, you were trying like so hard to make that connection, but it just yeah. wasn't, wasn't quite there or like, when you get into a conversation with someone who you don't have any matches with and you just have to play a bad card and they're like, why are you being mean to me? Or just leave me alone. Or I don't understand Uh. you. And it's like, I came into it with the best of intentions, but there's a disconnect here that like, I'm not going to be able to bridge with one conversation. And, and I, I love that the game is like very actively like telling you, like you can't just go through the world and expect to immediately connect with every person that you run into nor can like you expect to like there are there are things that are common to all of us but and there's still like space to connect but it doesn't happen overnight and it takes work and effort and also you have to there's like a conscious decision you're going to have to make about who you want to connect with because the game does force you to be like okay if you really want to connect with the square and triangle pe- folks then you're going to need to get a square and triangle deck. And that means that folks who have diamonds and circles, you're, you're not going to be able to talk to them. Mm-hmm. So you can try to build the deck that's a jack of all trades, but then you're always going to be kind of struggling to get through interactions, which is ultimately what I ended up doing because I wanted to see as much of the game as there was. And I got an ending that was like, good for the characters, but was very clearly not meant to be like a happy ending. Like things worked out okay for the characters, but it wasn't, you know, they basically were sellouts. <laughs> um, and, and so I can see like how in, in further playthroughs, I'm going to be going in with like more of a, like, these are the people that I want to try to connect with and the story that I want to see more of. So I'm going to really build my deck in that direction. And I'm going to let these other narratives and these other people go. I can see how that concept of when you have a mixed deck, like if you don't lean into getting to know one group of people deeply, you end up having this surface level, superficial relationship mm-hmm. with a lot of people, and then you end up being sellouts. Like I think that is emulation, like emulates in real life how yeah. when you try to be someone who is there for everyone. You just end up kind of running yourself dry and you don't end up having something deep with a smaller group of people. And um, that's, that's really cool. How like you, how the way you're speaking to how it uh, emulates mm-hmm. communication and, and culture and learning language. Yeah. And like, I, I'm not talking a lot about the actual narrative of the game. Um, and part of that's because like, I don't know. Like, I like the characters that I got to meet. I think there's a very serviceable narrative there. But what, like, has really drawn me to this game, what I think is going to keep me coming back to it and, like, what's really resonated is this this overall, like, thematic approach to how they've tra- tried to translate the concepts of uh, language and, like, uh, communicating across culture into this 
ostensibly very simple card game. And I'm just really impressed with what they were able to achieve there. I think it's mm. nuts that this is the first game <laughs> from this uh this studio. Mm. Uh really excited to see what else they come up with. Uh I, I definitely recommend people check the game out, especially because it's on the shorter side. I don't like I said, I definitely got frustrated with it several times, but I think that's kind of the point. So I, I don't know that it was I wasn't always having quote unquote fun, but I also mm-hmm. don't think that that is all that games have to offer. Mm-hmm. And I think is an experience of like really thinking about how we connect with other humans and what language and culture, how language and culture plays into that. I just, yeah, it was a really, really thoughtful game. It makes me think about like when you talked about those frustrating situations where like maybe you have triangle and circle cards and someone else has triangle and square. So you're getting so close to connecting, but Mm -hmm. it's just not working. just makes me think of, like in real life, like w- those awkward situations where like maybe you really like someone and you want to be their friend <laughs> or get to know them, but you're just so fucking awkward with them or, or the ways mm-hmm. that you communicate or exist in space together just do not mesh. Mm-hmm. And it's just painful for everybody. Like, I don't know. It's, it's really cool how like, like it's a very simple, just sort of matching symbols to create a chain like card game. But I love the way the mechanics sort of mirror um, the social mores to describe them yeah i mean i just i think it's so i've just i've just been thinking a lot about how like the way like i as a person in real life show up in spaces and communicate and how Mm -hmm. i can i can show up and i can say a thing and and how that will hit every single person in the room differently and we will Mm. either create a connection based on that or it will be a a stopping point for further communication and i don't think we i don't know if we think about that as much as we should i I guess and i'm especially thinking in the context of like white supremacy culture and how that's like so dominant in the way we're expected to interact with each other and how that Mm. like really hurts and stymies multicultural communication or prevents folks who uh, don't communicate that way from being able to participate in conversation or mm-hmm. connect across that. I, I don't know. So they, yeah. Just got yeah. me, got me thinking. Signs of the Sojourner. Is it uh, available? I'm sorry. You might have said it already, but what platforms is it on? It's a PC, PlayStation, Xbox, Switch. Cool. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, We'll go ahead and move into our guest for today, uh, which is Amanda Hudgens. Like so many of our guests, Amanda does a little bit of everything, but their day job is at Supersoul, which is a small game development company focused on offering dev services and training, as well as on building educational games and simulations that can integrate into classrooms and learning spaces. Amanda has a specific focus and passion on alternative controls design which they'll explain more in the interview. Uh, We've offered a lot of different perspectives on games on Pixel Therapy, but the conversation with Amanda felt particularly unique in their approach to games as a primarily tactile experience, uh, which games absolutely are. Uh, But that's it also seems like it's a piece of the experience that feels like it gets overshadowed a lot by more flashier talking points like graphics, writing, and combat systems. So this opportunity to talk with Amanda and and really think about how the way we physically interact with the game influences the impact it might have or considering how a game's story and themes might be conveyed uh, through it 
through its like physicality. I, I don't know. It was just a really great shift in perspective mm-hmm. uh, for, for me and I, yeah, for you too, Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we just really appreciated everything Amanda brought to that combo. So, uh, so without further ado, here's our interview with Amanda Hudgens. Welcome to the virtual Pixel Therapy Studio to our wonderful guest. Would you care to share your name, your pronouns, and maybe just a little bit about how you're spending your time lately? Um, Sure. Uh, My name is Amanda Hudgens. Uh, I usually go by they, them. Uh, And I, what was the third question? (laughs) (laughs) Um, How have you been spending your time? Uh, I... A little bit of a lot of things. Uh, I, I that's just kind of who I am. I do I do a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but right now the primary things are uh, I have mostly been reading and uh, mm-hmm. writing, and then also uh, I have my day job at Super Soul where I make uh, video games. But yeah, and uh, for the folks at home who <laughs> may not be familiar, could could you give us uh, like a sentence or two about Super Soul? Oh, okay. So Super Soul is a independent games company out of uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, we specialize in a lot of different things, but um, we've done art games. We've done uh, client work for people like uh, Girls Make Games and Google, as well as other local uh, companies like uh, Mommy's Best Games. They just released, uh, they're still releasing the Action Pack, which is like all their older titles just re-released, as well as Piggy Ball. And we help port their games. And then, oh, I guess I should also mention that I make a lot of stuff on my own. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you've heard of me and you have not heard of me, but if you've heard <laughs> of me, uh, it's probably because uh, in 2019, uh, Kotaku wrote an article about uh, an event in Chicago where people smashed a bunch of guitars on stage. Uh, and that was that was my game that I made with my partner. Uh, oh my god! And I and I also made a uh, game uh, called Sententable, which has a hundred buttons. It's a hundred button fight stick. I am excited to talk more about the thousand button project uh, mm-hmm. in a little bit, but. I miss, I somehow missed the guitar smashing thing. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that was. Oh, oh yeah. Um, that's, so that's one night only. Uh, uh-huh. and it was inspired by, I, I've totally spaced on the name of the actual event now, but it was, it was canceled because it had some abusive people who were organizing mm. it, but it was at GDC for that year. And the conceit was that at the end of the night, all of the games would be destroyed, but like mm. they meant like, they would delete the code. Like mm-hmm. there's a Natalie yeah. Lawhead game that uh, they made for it. That was like, uh, I think it was a, like a desktop uh, creature that you were supposed to like love and cherish. And then at the end of the night, you killed it mm. like that, that kind of thing. But I was like, most of my work is an alternative control. So I was like, that's cool and all, but what if like the controller was destroyed? Like, wouldn't yeah. that be way cooler? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I worked with uh, the event Bitbash, which is out of Chicago, which is a really great event. Uh, and I really bummed that it didn't happen last year because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But they um, they helped cover the cost because it turns out it's really expensive to buy uh, 17 guitars. 
And uh, yeah, even the the cheapest ones on Amazon. I wrote the longest Amazon review about like the quality of these guitars and like smashing them. (laughs) And yeah, the basic idea was it was kind of like a rock bandish game where you played the guitar and then at the very end, you took the guitar and you smashed it onto the ground as like your final destructive salvo. Yeah. And it worked with a bot. I, I worked for and paid a bunch of really cool, like mostly queer music groups and mm. a lot of punk music. And it was really cool. And it was one night only at the end of the night, we destroyed all the controllers. We destroyed the code. We destroyed everything. We destroyed the glove that controlled the devices. Mm. It was great. It can it's never be done amazing. again. Yeah. yeah. It's also way too expensive to be done again. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know this, the idea of destroying software, like it's uh, not with a bang, but uh, literally nothing, like because it's just deleting, like what does that even mean? And so this idea of bringing it into a physical space and um, like, I feel like even playing a, when I think of the times when I'm playing guitar, guitar hero or like rock star type bands, I'm really, what's so fun about it is being with your friends, but kind of capturing, I mean, not, Really, but sort of engaging in that energy of like being on a stage together. What would it be like to kind of be in unison and all on our instruments? And so the kind of continuing that to the point of like this finale where I'm smashing the guitar on stage, like that's way more like actually playing with a band than playing a uh, rock hero guitar, guitar hero rock band without the smashing. And my well, the, the wildest part about that whole process was mostly that um, I hadn't seen the space till we got there, but they gave us like a legit thousand person auditorium to play this in. Wow. So we were on stage. You could have fit, maybe a thousand people in that auditorium. It's this massive auditorium because it's at um, the basically Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago was where they had it. And it's this massive building and this massive auditorium. And I was like, are you sure you want me to smash guitars on this stage? And be like, it's fine. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> and also we had, we had never tested it um, because it's impossible to test a game that you destroy. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, alarming. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of things had to converge, and I'm glad it all worked out. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, if you've heard it, that's that's usually, if people have heard of me, that's that's one of the reasons, because uh, Kotaku did do a write-up. Cool. And um, speaking of your work and like you just mentioned that you are based in Kentucky Um, and I wanted to take a moment to chat about that because I feel like a lot of people make the assumption that people who make games or work in media um, are all in these big metro areas on the east or west coast. Um, Yeah, they're all coastal elites. Yeah, coastal elites. Um, And you wrote a piece for bulletpointsmonthly.com mm-hmm. um, on Kentucky Route Zero, um, which yeah. was a critically acclaimed game that really was released over several years and phases. Um, this was a game that we discussed more in depth in episode three, if any folks are interested in that. But if it's all right with you, Amanda, I was hoping to just read a couple sentences from that piece. Um, and sure. ask you about it a little. Um, so in this piece, and again, folks, uh, check it out on bulletpointsmonthly.com. Um, you write, 
a game is never going to show you the real Kentucky the same way a series of NYC alleyway shots aren't going to show you the real New York City. But takes on Kentucky usually fall in the direction of a more rural state of mind. Vast empty fields, coal mines, cheap buildings held together by hope and grit. It'd be hard to gather for most media produced about the state that Lexington, Kentucky ranked in the top 25 of most educated cities in the U.S., right up there with Hartford, Connecticut, San Francisco, um, or that were queerer than people expect. Um, a Gallup poll states that Louisville, Kentucky is in the top 15 of metropolises in terms of LGBT citizens, or that there are more queer people in the South than other regions of the U.S. Um, Kentucky Route Zero, the game for all its strengths, isn't about this kind of place. It's about a Kentucky that doesn't exist. Name a, ba- <laughs> Name a game about Kentucky. There's only one. Beautiful piece, and um, thank you for, for writing it. Um, what do people get wrong about the game development community in Kentucky? Uh, usually they don't know that it exists. Is probably mm. the thing, and and like credit to credit to Kentucky Art Zero, like uh, Jake Elliott did move to the state um, somewhere between I think Act Three and Act Four. Uh, his mm-hmm. wife is from Elizabethtown, so he's actually he moved here uh, sometime. Then they're raising their kids here. He's a great dude. Uh, so it's super weird to, when I wrote the piece because I was like, man, I feel like I'm dunking on this dude, but he like liked it <laughs> and I tweeted it. Yeah, like, he's a nice dude. Yeah, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Like it's, it's even weirder because we're super we're a super small community, so I've like seen him a bunch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, no, it's really great. It's it was a good thing that I wrote it like right before the pandemic. So mm. <laughs> <laughs> just take a nice year without running into him. Yeah. No, he's a great dude. Um, but seriously, uh yeah, I mean, mostly it's just that people don't know it exists. Um, mm-hmm. There's a really great co-op out of Kansas called Flyover Indies. And I think that's still, like, the best name for, like, this region of the U.S. in general mm-hmm. is that people just don't realize that people make games at all. Um, there's a really fantastic piece um, in Polygon by Blake Hester where he went around the country and he interviewed game developers from uh, everywhere, really. Like, he went and, like, found them where they lived and, mm-hmm. like... And they're, I mean, they're everywhere, right? They're, yeah. I know people who make games in like tiny cabins in West Virginia and mm. like stuff like that. And that's part of it. That's a big part of it. The other thing is, is that we were jokingly, semi-jokingly, but not jokingly referred to for a couple of years as the all control capital. Mm. <laughs> um, because um, for like three or four years, you couldn't go to alt control GDC without seeing a Kentucky developer there. Mm. Like, which is amazing because like that was the case with like MIT, like MIT would always have like, or not MIT, usually NYU would always have like Mm. one person there. And also Kentucky would have one person there. Mm. So it's like we were representing a part of sort of this weird community and people just don't know that we're here and they don't know that we're doing weird things. Like when I would go to uh, GDC usually or other big events, but usually GDC people, I remember at least once somebody told me, like I told them where I was from and they apologized to me Ew. and I told them to fuck off. But <laughs> <laughs> um, because like, what does that even mean? 
but like that's that's usually the kind of reaction you get is like people are confused or they're apologetic or Mm -hmm. they're like well i don't even know what that would be like it's like everywhere else except i can afford to live here and (laughs) deliver you live so yeah yeah (laughs) It's such a uh, self-centered assumption that uh, you should need to apologize to someone for living in a place that you have no context for. It's like, well, they've never been here. Like they have no right. idea. It's they've, if they've been here, usually it's, they've driven through this, they've driven through the mm-hmm. like I-75 to get to Florida mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular reason that you choose to continue to base your practice out of Kentucky? Like what is your connection to the land and and what keeps you there? I mean, it's mostly just, uh, I don't really have a specific reason to leave, Mm. which doesn't sound like this really deep, like reach (laughs) or anything. (laughs) Like I don't like, uh, I mean, when I was like 18, I was like, Oh, I got to get out of here. Right. Like everyone, I feel Mm -hmm. like everyone feels that way when you're like 17, 18, you're like, I've got to get out of here. But I didn't, um, I didn't want to pay to go to college. Mm-hmm. So I got into the state school locally. So I went to UK university of Kentucky uh, for my undergrad for both of my undergrads. Uh, and so I went to both. So I went to school for, for that here. And um, cause originally I applied to everywhere. I, I just wanted to leave the state. I wanted to leave the country. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it just didn't happen. And then it was, because I don't know, I think at one point it, came, it became clear to me that like it, anything I was trying to flee wasn't inside of the state; it was inside of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just to put it like real bluntly, like yeah. there's nothing mm-hmm. that I'm going to like fix by going to New York that I couldn't fix cheaper here. <laughs> also, yeah, I'm, I've got major sticker shock. Like, I, mm. I, I keep bringing it up, but I don't like. It's wild to me. Like, I'll see someone post what they think is like a good deal apartment, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm leaving my apartment. You know, you guys can move in. It's twenty five hundred dollars, and it's one bedroom, and it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, honestly, like it's not some sort of like hellscape. Like it's it's Kentucky. Like. Uh, I have a really good community here. We have a really good arts program like locally that supports us. Um, mm-hmm. We're working on, we're working on like state funding and stuff, but like we have a good arts program here, but like supports us. We are getting better with like education. Like we're growing the community here in a way that I'm not sure I could do or be a part of if I moved to a place like New York or Chicago or God forbid, San Francisco. You mentioned Kentucky and MIT both being um, hubs of alt control design. Yes. And I was wondering if you could take a minute to talk about what that is, uh, like that, that practice. Oh, sorry. What you want to know what alt control design is? Yeah. Okay. So alternative control is sort of a catch all term for uh, non standard control schemes. So if you are someone. Uh, so a standard control scheme for a game is is pretty easy to recognize. It's usually a gamepad or keyboard, um, but it's usually if it's mass produced, it's a standard control scheme. Usually there are exceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you, sometimes like Nintendo will release like a set of bongos for their mm-hmm. uh, that one bongo game. Like that's technically an alternative control. 
Um, but usually we don't talk about things like that in that same sphere. Uh, an alternative control game is usually taking those control schemes and altering them significantly. So with the thousand button project Sententable, the idea there is like, Oh, instead of one button, you have a hundred buttons. So it's mm-hmm. either. So that's an example of like extending it or with something like probably the most well-known example. If, if anybody's gone to an event and seen it would probably be a uh, line wobbler by Robin Baumgarten. Mm-hmm. It's a one dimensional dungeon crawler. Uh, it's an LED light strip, the kind you'll see in like TikTok videos that are around like uh, e-girl bedrooms. Uh, <laughs> and it's like that, except that it's um, uh, addressable LED light strip. And uh, the control scheme is actually, uh, it's basically a doorstop. Mm-hmm. And you flick the doorstop and it shoots a light up the, uh, up the light strip. So they can be really abstracted. They can be the same, the same, but, but more, they can be a lot of different things. Uh, it's usually just taking a pre-existing thing and just altering it substantially. Mm. And what is, what kind of emotions or, or what, like, what's the point of altering, altering the control substantially? Like I was just thinking about it and it's like, uh, I guess, is it art just for the sake of creating, like, it doesn't always have to mean something deep, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but I'm just curious, like, why you personally, like, why you do it? Um, It depends on the project. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Usually, I'm a really slow designer, so I like to think about things for a really long time. Like the current one I've been thinking about and working on has been, and prototyping has been a, um, I'm working on an alternative uh, controller that's a, a quilt where it's in, it, you're, it's embroidered and uh, it's using a conductive thread so you can touch it. And it's specifically related to both the fact that quilting is something that was taught to me by my grandmother. And also it's going to talk about uh, dementia because my grandmother who just passed away had dementia. And so I want to tie, like, that's the emotional connection. I want you to be able to feel it and touch it because that's the tactile sensation is something that is like a very physical sense, right? It's, and I know that you can tie things better to it by touching them than you can by me, like handing you like an Xbox 360 controller and saying, here, go through this room. Yeah. And this room is full of my memories of my grandmother. And that's not to mm-hmm. say that those are lesser games because like, uh, I know everyone sobbed like a baby during that dragon cancer. Like you can do that. You can build like powerful experiences without like touching things. But I think that there is like a tactile nature to that. And then on the other hand, like, I don't know, sometimes I just want to build a thing with a hundred buttons in it mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. because it seems fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the 1000 button project a little bit more. Uh, sure. and folks, uh, there's a website for it. It can be found at buttons are dot cool. Amazing uh, link. Made, by the way. <laughs> Thank um, you. And so You've spoken about it a couple times now, but um, can you just sort of like paint a visual picture of what it looks like and how it works? Uh, yeah, sure. So it is actually an Ikea children's table uh, <laughs> that I bought from Goodwill. Uh, it has 100 individually drilled holes. 
Mm. Don't ever do that. Um, <laughs> um, ever. Uh, it's a hundred individually drilled holes and they each have a button in them. They're in a grid um, of 98. There's two off to the side. Um, and the idea is that each player gets uh, 49 buttons. Uh, and those buttons uh, randomize at the start of every round. Um, every button does a different thing. So they'll do uh, attacks, uh, changes to the shaders, visuals, and uh, sound effects. So there's a layered soundtrack um, from Tumelo. And it'll basically take all of those aspects and it'll remix them based on which buttons you press. Like you start the game and you have, you're in a white room with one red and one blue character and two minutes in, it's completely unrecognizable. Two seconds in, it's usually unrecognizable. Um, it's a complete cacophony. And it's best two of three and it randomizes at the start of every round. And um, like, I guess I'm trying to imagine, I feel like if it were me and I was walking up to an Ikea table with a thousand buttons on it. Yeah. Uh, even if someone told me like, oh, you're only in charge of 49 buttons, I'd still kind of be like, oh my fuck. I don't know if I can cognitively wrap my brain around more than like four buttons. So well, I'm just kind of wondering how people approach it and like what kind of, if you have any favorite anecdotes or reactions that you'd like to share. There's a couple. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing is, is that you just generally strategy, general strategy. This isn't really answering the question, but yeah. is uh, you don't treat the button as an individual button. You treat the board as a, button if that makes sense so it's the buttons aren't are no longer single objects they are a collection of objects so you your whole hand is now hitting seven things at once if they're all individually hooked up i wanted to make that very clear because like so if you have a keyboard matrix on your 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 keyboard has something called like a it's, it's like a specific type of matrix and so if you press like 10 keys at once it's not going to actually register all 10 keys usually Depends on the keyboard, but it'll register like three of them. And that's because of the way that their keys are registering because it doesn't need to register 10 key presses at once. It's a way more efficient way to do that. I didn't want that. I wanted the computer to register all 10 presses at once. Mm. (laughs) So it does, um, which is a mess. Um, (laughs) So, but that also means that you just press everything. So the best people at this game are usually at about uh, second to fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, some of my favorite ones are um, we did the Hand Eye Society Fancy Dress Ball in Toronto. And uh, two guys who had never played it before walked up full suits and they they and one of them slapped down. I don't know if you've ever seen Canadian money, but it looks incredibly fake. Oh yeah, it's all fake <laughs> in plastic. Yeah, and, but he takes it out and he like slams it on the table and he goes, "It goes to winner." And I was like, "Okay, okay." <laughs> and he and he and his and he and his bud just like play like Aww. like two massive children, and one of them takes the prize. Usually, it goes. Uh, someone will win most of it. Like. It's usually split 50-50. Like, usually you don't have someone winning the first two rounds. It's usually someone wins round one, the other person win, wins round two, and the third person wins either way. Mm-hmm. And, the, sorry, third round goes to one or the other. It's, it's hopefully balanced enough for that. 
Um, and then the other ones I love are just like uh, at MAGFest. I think the first year I showed a guy walked up who was definitely like a real fighting game dude. And he had like his fighting game controller and he was really serious. And he had his, I'm going to presume he around his, with his controller with him. He's yes. Serious. Yeah. And he had, I'm 99% certain it was either girlfriend or wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know the state the status of the relationship, but they were romantic partners and she was standing there next to him and he's like, I want to play. And she's like, I don't like playing with you. Like fight. She doesn't want to play fighting games with him. <laughs> and she beats the shit out of him. Yes. in like no time at all because like the problem with like people who are really good at fighting games is they try to they try to game it they're like if i just like correctly no Mm -hmm. because by the time you find the one like super special move you've been backed into the corner by an (laughs) eight-year-old who just wants to spam the button that drops cardboard boxes on your head like (laughs) Yeah. And also happen to find the punch button at the same time. Like it's nonsensical. Yeah. But that, that kind of interaction is what I live for. I, I really love this concept because it just makes me think about how um, like it's, first of all, taking a video game out of the context of always having to be tied to a screen of some mm-hmm. sort. Um, and when I think about like the barriers that may exist to why someone might not game or think that video games are for them. Um, I think of things like, okay, the, the cost, the sheer cost of like a console or a gaming PC, God forbid. Um, there's the learning curve of knowing how to use a certain type of controller. And like you said, like if you're playing against someone who's very experienced at a certain game, you immediately are, are uh, you know, it's harder for you if you haven't already been playing with that controller or have familiarity with that game. And this idea that um, that playing field is just like totally equalized uh, by putting in front of folks just this this object that begs them to just start smashing and see what happens. Um, I don't know. I think that's just a really cool way of getting back to what games are for, what video games um, at, like at their base like play level, like what they can do to bring people joy. I hadn't asked you, like, what's your personal history with video games? Like, have you always been someone who is a gamer? So, yes and no. So, in the sense, I don't, I've never identified myself as a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like that's, A, it's a very loaded term. And yeah. B, like, because like, it calls to mind, like, a lot of things that I don't, like, recognize in myself. Mm. Um, but yes, um, my parents were both really big into games. Like, uh, mm. my mom used to say that uh, they didn't have a lot of, they didn't have like a TV, they had a TV, but they didn't have like cable when we were, when I was really little, but they would just like, uh, they would run the super, one of the super Mario brothers games, like uh, as background music when I, was, mm. when I was really little, just so that they had like something going as like background music. I um, love like some parents choose Mozart. Some parents choose Beethoven. <laughs> Amanda's parents chose the Super Mario Brothers theme music. I she she told me that at one point. I was like, "What?" <laughs> um, um, but like, yeah, my mom played a lot of Myst when I was a kid, and my dad played a lot of like the original Warcraft and like Starcraft. Mm. 
Uh, so I've always done that. But my parents were really big on you could only play a game if it was nonviolent, mm. which is hilarious considering the Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I was only allowed to play games that were nonviolent, and uh, they had to be multiplayer because I have a younger sister. Uh, so uh, I played like games that like nobody else recognizes. Like when people are talking about like Nintendo sixty four, they're like, "Oh man, Goldeneye!" And I was like, "Absolutely <laughs> not! Like, <laughs> there's no way my parents would have let me play Goldeneye. Like, there's guns in it, like." Mm-hmm. They were one of those like really strict like no violence uh, families. Does uh, uh, what about Super Smash Brothers? Because it's Mario, but also fighting. No, well, we didn't. Oh! Do Super Smash- no, uh, we the closest I think we had was uh, like the Pokemon Stadium games. Mm. Like that's those were probably, good. Like, those were good, and like all because they had all the mini games. Um, so you could do those, and then but mostly like racing games. So like uh, mm. Star Wars pod racing, and like. They had those really terrible shark, like, c- car racing games where all the cars were also, like, uh, mutant creatures. It's called, wow. like, Raw... It's, it's something racers. I don't know. It's Scars, I think is what it's called. Literally <laughs> nobody but me knows this. <laughs> I've, I've found it. I know it exists. It isn't one of those, like, it doesn't exist except in my brain. Yeah. It exists. But, like, that game we played constantly. It's terrible. Nobody should play it. (laughs) But, like, that was the kind of games we played. And so I stopped playing when I was in, um, like, late middle school, early high school. Because by that point, everyone I knew was playing GTA. I still wasn't allowed to play violent games. So there was nothing Mm -hmm. for me to play that would have been comparable to what my friends were playing. And then I started playing indie games again uh, when I got into undergrad. So, and which is still mostly what I play. And I mean, I ran uh, an interactive fiction website called Storycade probably seven years ago now. Uh, Cause that would, that was like one of my first like reintroductions back into like video games was stuff like uh Porpentine's crystal Kesha warrior. Um, anything by Emily short, like, really the tiny like small indie projects that are focused on like writing was sort of my re-entry back into games. Cool. And since your re-entry, like why do you play games now? Like what do you get out of gaming? It depends. Uh, I usually, uh, if I'm, if I'm playing, it's usually either for just like fun because it's with someone uh who wants to play like a multiplayer game or i just uh i play a lot of roguelikes Mm. so have you been playing hades i have played a little bit of hades but uh my partner has stolen the switch oh my god i have i have not played because okay he's he's playing hades so i have and we only have one switch so um yeah Uh i i mostly have not played as much hades as as he has like last year, probably the most time I spent was in animal crossing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then that was mostly it. 
yeah. it's so validating to hear someone say, um, oh, I haven't been playing Hades because my partner stole the Switch because I <laughs> um I, I live with my partner and we have one PS5, uh, which I'm very blessed to even have. Like the idea of trying to get a second PS5 right now, oh I God. saw that it's been selling out in seconds. And I'm just like, okay, kind of put that off for another few months. But like, um, you know, we have one living room and one TV and one PS5. And so my partner has had to spend the past 100 hours watching me play Assassin's Creed Valhalla on the PS5. <laughs> and it's so gorgeous and beautiful. And uh, there's definitely like moments where he very politely approaches me and is like, hey, baby, like, would it be okay if I created a little? <laughs> How can I say no? <laughs> but there's no else. such thing as Assassin's Creeding just a little as anyone. No. Who plays no. That so it's a great learning experience in sharing and um, just really being in tune with my partner emotionally. <laughs> For some reason, uh, I mean, I don't. It reminds me for some reason of like, and, and like, obviously, J.K. Rowling's a turf, but mm-hmm. when I was like a kid, I remember my mom would buy one of the copies of the Harry Potter books as they were coming out. And the rule, there were three of us in the house that were reading them at the same time. And so the rule was, is that the book was not allowed to leave the chair. Mm. <laughs> there, was one, there was one chair in the house. And so yeah. if the book was on the chair and you could read the book when it was on the chair. And if you left, if you left the chair, the book stayed, but you also <laughs> lost the right to be mad if someone took the chair while you were gone. Okay. Uh, so we're going to be trading PS5 time based on bladder size. <laughs> That's our new system. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. Um so, um, Amanda, are there any particular games that you've played lately that you enjoyed or any that uh, excited you that you've played in the past couple months that you care to share? Huh. I don't know. So I've been having a harder... Uh, I don't play as much as I used to because uh, it's been stressful on my vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mostly like when I, if I play something, it's usually in like short bursts or it's for like, uh, for like a paid gig. So most of, mm. most of the stuff I played this year and completed that wasn't like a tiny game I played like really quickly was like something that I, I needed to like write about. So like, mm. uh, Doom Eternal or, uh, Kentucky Red Zero or, um, Final Fantasy Seven. What number is that? Yeah, the remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, I don't know. Uh, the game that I always go back to is uh, Tiny Islands. Uh, it's this little web browser game by uh, totally spacing on his name right now, but uh, <laughs> I'll look it up. David King. Yes, it's David King's Tiny Islands. So that's the game that I play the most of, probably in general. Because it's just this little game where it's like a, I think it's, I forgot this specific type of game type it is. Like there's a board game type it's based off of, but it's this nice little game where you just like arrange stuff on a board and there are a certain amount of cards and then you select them and you place them on a board and it's just really simple. And I like a game that's a nice like brain cleanser kind Mm -hmm. of thing that you can, 
that has a nice round sort of round for lack of a better word that you can complete. Like Mm -hmm. that's why I used to like speed run downwell. Like, uh, cause you can complete uh, the entirety of Downwell's story in like under 15 minutes, which is like the perfect amount of time for like, Oh God, I'm rendering a video at work or something. Uh, and similarly with like tiny islands, like it's a good, like I have to wait for something to upload or I have to do something. So I'll just play this game for like five minutes yeah, and then I'll be done. Mm. Yeah. that That's, uh, I just take a minute to, mention now that we're mentioning tiny islands um it's defined as a roguelite as well as um like resource management manageable tasks um a city sim um it's a lot of things um but it looks really cool uh it actually reminds me of there's this board game called tiny towns i guess i guess this kind of visual puzzle having to do with uh architecture and town layouts is just just works for people but there's a really cool it's board pleasant. game <laughs> yeah it's just it just feels good what can i say it just um, feels nice and we had a channel we still do for the local game development group we have a channel that's just dedicated to it every day it pops up with like here there's because there's a daily challenge and so it pops up and it's like, hey guys, daily challenge. Here's if you want to if you want to participate, like thread your replies. Mm, and so cool. people will drop in and like drop their high scores and stuff. So, Aww. and we've been doing that for like a year. Yeah, nice. that's awesome. And um, you mentioned that your relationships with gaming has been shifting um, yes. due to the stress that it puts on your eyes. And I was wondering, like, what kinds of things do you find yourself looking for now out of video games that has changed over time? So I have, I have keratoconus, um, which is a degenerative eye condition. Um, it's a, it's a sort of a squishy cornea thing. Um, <laughs> uh, basically Yum. I have, I have cones. Uh, my uh, cornea turns into, uh, it has a nice little cone on it. Um, mm. Currently it's only, I'm, it's only, I'm only symptomatic on the left-hand side. Um, I do technically have it on the, on both sides. Um, what it causes is something called ghosting, um, which is basically uh, double vision, but only with light, mm-hmm. uh, which, as you can imagine, is uh, not great with screens. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually it mostly just in it mostly just comes down to uh, a game really has to be worth my time mm-hmm. um, for me to sit down and play it, because otherwise it's it, I'm going to end up with a just a massive headache at the very least, if not just searing eye pain by the end of the process. Yeah. So it's just got to be worth uh, the time to put into it. It also just causes me to prefer games that are, uh, have a decent amount of contrast into them. So like uh, the Doom franchise in general, I find uh, difficult. Mm-hmm. For example, like uh, the Doom 2016 is a great game, fantastic play playable game. Everything is the same shade of red. Mm-hmm. Oh God! It's, and I, I cannot tell it apart, and it mm-hmm. just like it's miserable uh, mm-hmm. in that re- in that respect. So it's it's just like an extra level um, when like selecting a game is just like oh, uh, do I also want to like enjoy this experience mm-hmm. like uh, for other reasons or like uh, I'll have to tap out usually earlier. Or uh, at this point, I also just usually have to play during the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. And 
it's interesting when I think about like alternative controls because like games shouldn't inherently have to be tied to a screen, um, especially because there's lots of different reasons why screens might not be the best medium for someone to enjoy the game. Mm-hmm. And like, do you ever see alternative controls being more of a mainstream application? Like, or do you think that it's more of an experiential? So y- yes and no. So the, uh, I mean, so on, on the one hand, uh, alternative controls usually work really well in accessibility functions, mm-hmm. but they're not all inherently accessibility based. Mm-hmm. So with that, you have something like, say, uh, Microsoft's accessibility controller that they debuted two years ago, I want to say, that big white and black thing with the pads on it. It's like a really big great. mat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really great, and it has a lot of functionality that really builds into that. And there's a lot of things that would be almost identifiable, identifiably alternative controls that are accessibility controls. So, you know, joysticks, breath tubes, uh, things that are non-traditional ways of, like, in, like interacting with the way that we interact with the world, uh, the way that other people interact with the world is a good example of that. But at the same time, Cost-wise, it's just not efficient for most people. Like, I've had a couple people like be like, "Oh, you should do a Kickstarter for Sententable." Absolutely mm. not. Who's going to buy <laughs> a board that size? I built the thing, and I wouldn't buy it. Yeah. Uh, it's way too expensive. <laughs> but it usually, I mean, they're one-off items. Uh, coming from a, just an environmental standpoint, um, that would be a, a terrible. <laughs> it would just be creating more plastic junk. Uh, but generally speaking, um, I think they tend to be really experiential. I think they're really great in, uh, places like uh, museums mm-hmm. and art shows. I really love them in art shows because they're a really great way for someone who might not view art as something that is for them, their ability to touch it and interact with it. That tactile sensation is really there. Yeah. And also that video games can be art too. Yes. Like, oh, they definitely are. I've been I've been in art galleries. I was in the Smithsonian. It's definitely art. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was in the Smithsonian, bitches. It's art. <laughs> I said that the last time someone uh, did an art did a, like our game's art, and it's like I don't know. I was in the Smithsonian. It was <laughs> <art>. You tell <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds like more of a name drop than it actually is. But like, yeah, yeah. Um, Amanda, it's been awesome hanging out with you for this past Thank hour. You so much. Um, where can, are there any projects you're working on right now that you'd like folks to know about and where can people follow up and, uh, just follow your work? Um, I don't have anything that I'm actively talking about right now. That's not like, that's not like super public. Uh, the best way to follow my work is to follow me on Twitter. I'm at barely concealed on Twitter. Uh, I have a website, um, which is amandathrows.rocks. Uh, and I work with the company Supersoul, which is uh, supersoul.co. That is not a typo. And we do a bunch of different projects. And we're actually working on releasing a couple games this year. So that's the best way to talk. find me. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on Pixel Therapy. Thank you. Thank you. 
time is up for today's session of Pixel Therapy. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you want more Pixel Therapy, come check us out at patreon.com slash pixeltherapypod, where you can snag that monthly bonus episode for just $2 a month, plus opportunities to get involved with the community and influence the show directly. If you're not up for contributing monetarily, but you enjoyed this episode, there are lots of ways you can support us for free, including leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and following us on Instagram and other social media at Pixel Therapy Pod. That stuff is just as important, and we appreciate it just as much. Remember that Pixel Therapy is a happy member of the But Why Though Podcast Network, so you can support us by supporting them and heading over to butwhythopodcast.com. That's though with a T-H-O. Take a peek at the inclusive geek community they are building around pop culture news reviews and kick-ass podcasts like yours truly. And you can keep up with all of this stuff and more by visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Finally, since we like to put our money and our energy where our mouth is, we end every episode with a recommended side quest. As I was mentioning earlier, um, there's a really important organization that I wanted to bring folks' attention to. It is called Stop AAPI Hate. Um, this is from their website. In response to the alarming escalation in xenophobia and bigotry resulting from the COVID-19 pandemic, the Asian Pacific Planning and Policy Council, Chinese for Affirmative Action, and the Asian American Studies Department of San Francisco State University launched the Stop AAPI Hate Reporting Center on March 19th, 2020. The center tracks and responds to incidents of hate, violence, harassment, discrimination, shunning, and child bullying against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. Our approach recognizes that in order to effectively address anti-Asian racism, we must work to end all forms of structural racism leveled at all Black, Indigenous, and other communities of color. Um, this organization is is really amazing. Um, they uh, have a like multi-pronged approach. Um, oh, actually, there's more about that. I'll read it. <laughs> um, so our five-pronged approach is to serve as the leading aggregator of all anti-Asian hate incidents, offer multilingual resources for impacted community members, provide technical assistance from rapid response to preventative measures, support community-based safety measures and restorative justice efforts, and advocate for local, state, and national policies that reinforce human rights and civil rights protections. Um, they have an amazing team of volunteers who do everything from grocery shop to escort um, Asian American elders to and from places of worship or to do errands and things like that. Um, they have a reporting system where you can um, submit incidents um, of anti-Asian hate um, that you can find on their website. And they use these reports to raise awareness on a national scale um, and just to advocate and make a lot of this stuff available to the public, um, which is just really important work. Um, you can learn more about the organization and you can donate at stopaapihate.org. Um, definitely look into it. They have um, more resources and articles where you can um, read about just the history of, of Asian American experiences in the U.S. and just uh, just learn more about what's going on right now. Um, thank you. So check them out, stopaapihate.org. Yeah, please, please check them out. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. That is our show for today. So go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats, and don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more Pixel, Pixel Therapy. therapy. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs>